Listener Production. Went into probably a little bit of depression without realising what it was for a couple of years after that. Really struggled to get myself going and motivated and it was a hard time, really hard time. I think as time goes on, the pain definitely lessens and you, um, it's always going to be a loss that you never have in your life. That's the thing that you, you're never going to get back. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. Singer-songwriter and guitarist Pete Murray makes music which has been the soundtrack for many of the big moments in our lives. For me, it's got me through heartbreak and it's also helped me celebrate. Pete has released seven albums and is one of only a few Aussie artists with over 1.2 million album sales, along with 17 ARIA nominations. And he's just released a best of collection of his most popular singles. And while we know Pete's music, we don't know a lot about the man behind the guitar. And that's why I really wanted to have him on the podcast. Murray, I've got butterflies seeing you. No, you haven't. Yes, I do. (laughs) You are seriously handsome and you can sing. But why for me it is such a joy to be talking to you is your music. I just love your music. When your first album came out, I was in my early 30s and your songs are such a soundtrack to moments in my life and I'm sure I'm not the first person that said that. No, you're not. You're not. It's funny, isn't it, how many people that I've bumped into and that album in particular is just such a massive album and it went around the world, especially this is well before days of Spotify and iTunes and streaming, you know, so that was physically went around the world on CDs and, you know, Chris Marshall, the actor, uh, English actor. I think so. Isn't he the guy who was in love actually and he played that character who moves to America? I've just worked out why I can never find true love. Why's that? English girl. They're stuck up, you see. And I am primarily attractive to girls who are, you know, cooler. Game for a laugh. Like American girls. So I should just go to America. I was in LA and I just finished doing the Blue Sky Blue album with Tom Rockthrop, the producer. And we've come in to meet Tom and he was with a couple of friends and one of them was Chris. And I'm like, oh, I know you. But before I could even say, wow, nice to meet you, he said, Pete Murray. I was like, how do you know me? And he went to Feeler. You know, he said I had a friend in Australia that came back to the UK and brought Feeler back. So all of our friends were just into this album, you know. So it was really one of those albums that just went everywhere and obviously set my career up and, you know, which I'm very grateful for. ballistic and I think as well with your sound it is so Australian mm-hmm. and that's what I love about it to me I just think of the beach and big open skies when I hear you sing found myself just the other day in the backyard of a friend's place thinking about you 
Here you are, 30-something years later, releasing your best of, and you're at this place in your career and in your life. Did you ever think that was possible? Well, not at that stage, no. You know, I thought that that album was destined to fail. I think sometimes you go into a bit of a post-album blues after the an album can be released and you just can't hear anything good about it. And I just didn't hear anything good about that album. I thought that I'd failed and I didn't think it was going to work and had everyone around me going, this, this is fantastic, really great, you know, and I just couldn't hear it. I thought, well, that's it. I was really upset with myself because I, I thought that's it. And that was my chance. One chance, I got signed to the record label. This is my one chance to give them something that, that they can work with and I just completely screwed it up and it just isn't going to work. So you thought and it failed though. What made you think this is a failure? This isn't good. I don't know, but you know, but when you're in that mindset, you just, you don't sort of hear anything really great about it. But it was funny, you know, I think once the guys from the label were saying that we've taken three artists to, they were doing this session where they would basically get the radio guys to come in and play them a track from each new artist. Uh, and I was the new artist, so they weren't expecting much from me. And they were almost saying, look, look, we would go, hey, this is the first artist and he's the second artist. And then we've got this other guy, I can Pete Murray, you know. They weren't expecting much. They were expecting maybe, I think they said, if we can sell 20,000 albums for this, for the life of this album, that's our goal. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a lot. That's, you know, if I can sell 1,000, that'd be pretty cool. And I think it went on to sell over 500,000. It was massive. But all the producers at the radio stations were just going, who's that guy? What's this sound? We want this sound. And then suddenly it just went from you know, for, I guess from the Triple J and commercial radio very quickly and, and even the label was saying, look, we've never had an artist where we've had the um, commercial radio calling us and going, how come they've got it and we don't have it? You know? So it just was one of those things that just really took off. I think after a while I started to kind of relax a bit and realise that it wasn't quite as bad as what I thought it was. How long did that take to sort of finally go, you know what, this is good, I can do this? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Eight years. I mean, I was kind of, I wasn't quite all down in the dumps about it, but I just thought for some reason I didn't like the sound of the album and what it was. And so it was eight years later that I got a text message from Darren Middleton from Powderfinger. Darren just said, mate, I've just been listening to Feeler. Great album. And, And I was thinking, is it a great album? What is so good about this album? I know I hadn't listened to it from start to finish. And so... I thought, this is something that I'm going to have to try. I thought, you know what, I've never been able to listen to this album from start to finish. I just couldn't do it. I'd get through, you know, the first couple of songs and just stop it and go, I can't do it, I can't do it. So I thought, today, eight years later, I'm going to play it, start to finish, and I'm not going to turn it off. I'm not going to criticise it. I'm just going to listen to it. And I think after so long, you do stop criticising and pulling it apart, and I could have done that and I could have done this and I could have sung that differently and... So I just listened to it from start to finish and at the end actually went, actually, that's a really good album. <laughs> so eight years I'd been really giving myself a really hard time and for no reason at all. And are you gentler on yourself now? Yeah, yeah, I try not to be so critical and there's like a three-month period from when I record something, I'll give it a break and i listen to it again because it's just weird. If you listen to it straight away, I don't hear the goodness in it. And I need to sort of stop and just give it a break and then listen to it again and give it fresh ears. So I'm like that with my photos as well, you know, because my wife takes a lot of my press photos. 
And she's always giving me a hard time. She's going, these, these look good. You look good. I'm going, no, that's, I don't like that one. Uh, and then three months later, I'm going, why didn't you give me that photo? That's a great photo. Why didn't she? Oh, great. You know, so, <laughs> so you're a perfectionist. I think I am a perfectionist, yeah. You most definitely are a perfectionist. Also, what I want to talk to you about is, I mean, you have incredible talent, but what other qualities do you reckon you have that meant you've had such an incredible music career? I was always into sport. So swimming, athletics, footy, they were the three things that I played when I grew up in Chinchilla, small country town. So, you know, I moved to Brisbane and and I hurt my knee playing rugby. There was a pivotal moment where I was a chance of making the Australian Sevens team to go over to Hong Kong. And I'd come off a couple of seasons of athletics where I was running the 800 and 400, so I was super fit. And that's why I was good at sevens. You know, I had skill as well, but I had the fitness where the other guys couldn't last as long. So I would just kind of keep going for the whole game. And, you know, if someone kicked it, I'd just run through and pick it up and score the try. So it was easier for me to do that. But I injured my knee. It was an anterior and posterior cruciate. So it was quite a bad injury, which really set me back. And I never really got back onto the paddock again until years later. But in the meantime, I picked up a guitar and I was studying at the time and I decided to take some time off and went overseas. And by the time I came back, I was really into playing music and playing the guitar and I started to write songs. And it was just funny how it all worked, you know, so it was very, very late to make that happen. But I think having the determination with sport, I really just carried that across to music and and I kept the same mentality that way where I was really focused wrote down my goals, what I needed to do, what did I need to do to achieve that. Probably not what many musicians do, I guess, but I think coming into music, because I did my first independent album at 30, I couldn't really muck around. This either had to work or it wasn't going to. So I really was kind of focused on, yeah, really, I guess, having a bit of a strategic plan to how do I do this as, as an old guy? Because I was 30. I oh, was come on, but 30 is not old. I the, the music business, well, you know what I mean? Yes, and I think, though, what's so fascinating is hearing you talk about applying sort of a sporting mindset to such a creative, imaginative career as well, that you're able to apply that same single-mindedness. But it's a different sort of skill set, though, I'd think. Oh, very much, you know, but I think, you know, with sport, you've, you've got to put time into it. And with music, you've got to put time into it as well. Songwriting, you've got to be there. And, you know, I started to treat it like a job where I would get up in the morning, I'd jump on the guitar straight away and start writing, and then I'd go up some breakfast and come back down. So I spent probably a good couple of years learning the art of writing and and just spending all my days putting it together. I was doing a couple of covers gigs on a Friday night, Saturday night. That was it, just to sort of keep some cash coming in. And so that kind of kept me going. Um, and then, yeah, once I sort of got, had enough material of new music, I was like, okay, that's it, no more covers. This is, I'm going to start to do the original music. So, and that's when, you know, you you, you really jump in the deep end and, and it's, it's not easy. It's no. And I think in a way though, what I think is so amazing talking with you and hearing you describe is that you'd go for it though, that you're in a hurry, as you say, to make it happen. You say it's old at 30 to be beginning your music career. When did you realise, okay, I've made it? The first one that I really remember was playing Bar Broadway and Feeler had come out 
we had the song Feeler had just been on the radio and it had just started to take off, um, but only very early days. And I remember turning up to a, a bar Broadway, which was, a, I think, capacity of about 400 people. It wasn't massive. We did sound check during the afternoon, went home, had dinner, came back to do the show. And there was a massive lineup going right around the building and way down the, the road. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, fantastic. You know, this is like someone else is playing down the road and, you know, they're all going to this guy. They're not going to come and see me. So we wonder how many, how many people we'll get. Really not thinking that I'd get many. Going inside and then the place was packed and they turned away thousands of people. I think at that moment I was thinking, wow, this is exciting. And I came out to sing the first song, which is the last song on that album called Ten Foot Tall, which I thought not many people will know this. I said to the band, look, I'll, I'm going to start this on my own, just test the waters and see what sort of crowd we've got here. You know, sometimes when you do have a song that is, is taking off on, say, Triple J, you will get people who just come along. There'll be a few people that will know it, but there'll be a crowd that just come along because it's people are going to see this new guy and they're not really interested. They don't really know you. So they can talk over you. So I thought, what are we up for tonight? Came out and I played 10 Foot Tall, which I thought no one will know, and pretty much everyone saying word for word back to me. And I was like, wow, I just couldn't believe it. And the band was sort of peeping through the curtains going, what is going on? <laughs> so How wonderful. Real... Were you nervous? Were you nervous before you started yeah. that song? I was nervous uh, probably for the first 12 months of what was happening because every time I go on stage, it was a new thing for me because the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it was just happened so quickly. So I was nervous all the time. Now I'm totally fine. I don't get nervous anymore. You know, it's what you get used to. But at that moment, I think in that time, in that first six months, it was just, um, wow, there's a bigger crowd today. You know, well, we've sold this one out. We're going to put another show on. And it just kept going and going. And so I think that that first show was the first time that I thought, this might actually work. This might actually work. And, you know, everything that you've put into it is just, it's so satisfying to to have that um that feeling, you know, when, when people are singing your own lyrics back to you. That's the first time I experienced that. It was incredible. Give me more of a sense for what that is like. I can't begin to imagine that, as you say, people singing your words back to you. Yeah, it's it's something that um, not many people get to experience, I guess, you know. I think that those songs end up, you know, they're yeah, songs that are very special to me, the songs that I've written, and that particular song was about a girl who passed away from cancer um, and I just think the, the connection that people had with that song once they found out what it was about as well it has had more of a connection but I think that album as you said people had a connection to it lyrically it was just it just worked for everyone so when they were singing these songs back it was just with such passion and some people were crying and some people was you know screaming and just yelling it was just like it was a really exciting time so to have your own lyrics come back to you is, is a really it's an amazing feeling. I've had a, another song called Better Days and this this song has has saved lives, you know, and the first time I experienced this, this is the most amazing experience I've ever had. I was out somewhere, We I think we played a, must have been doing a show in Rockhampton, I think it was, and the band and I went out one time and had a couple of drinks after the gig and I just remember 
feeling this massive hand on my shoulder and I turned around, it was a security guy. And I looked at him and I just thought, someone in the band has done something stupid here. Normally the drummer or the bass player, they're the guys that do the silly things on tour. And I thought, I'm about to be thrown out. What's happening? And the guy had tears coming down his face. And I'm like, are you okay, mate? We, you know, what's up? And he's like, I've got to thank you so much. You know, I had, was going through a really hard time. Um, lost his wife, lost his family. He was just really struggling, lost his business. He was just, just wanted, wanted to end it all. But he listened to this one song, Better Days, the lyrics in the morning and at night, every time he would wake up and when he'd go to bed. And it really helped him believe that, yes, you will get through this. You'll be better. You'll be much stronger for it. So he said, you know, you saved my life. And, you know, I think that's just, that's the best. When anyone says that your lyrics have saved their life, that's just, I can't tell you how that makes you feel. So singing the words back is amazing. But when someone says that to you, that's like, wow, incredible. Seen better days. In my hands Get down on my knees And I pray to God Hope it sees me through To the end And that's a superpower It makes you feel great When you can change someone's life um, Their way of thinking whether it's just that or, you know, um, another song, Opportunity, is just really about following your dreams and making sure that if you're not happy with what you're doing, then change it, you know. My life's always been, I'm not about money, I'm about lifestyle. So I got into music thinking, and this is um, this be a great lifestyle. I'm going to travel the world, you know, what's the job I can do that, that can take me around the world? And music was the thing that, that was the thing. And so for me, it's been, that's really what I want to do. And, and I haven't been worried about, you know, even like we talked earlier about being older in the music business and some people go, I'm too old and I can't do this. And you're told you're too old and, and I was told you're too old. When were um, you told you know, that? I remember doing an interview on the independent album when it came out and someone said, if you haven't had success by the time you're 24 in the music business, then you're never going to make it. And they said, what do you think about that? And I said, oh, well, that's, that's BS. You know, that's, I don't think, you know, if you write a good song, you write a good song and it will get out there. So I've just had, I've been a big believer in trying things and, you know, I don't want to be stuck doing, I started off doing natural medicine, but I didn't want to be doing that forever. And then I got into music and before that I was working in hospitality, you know, early on and it's like, I don't do that. I love doing the, the athletics. The natural medicine was great and I would have enjoyed that, but I just, it wasn't going to take me around the world. So music was the thing that was going to take me around the world. It's risky, very challenging, very hard to, to have success in very hard to maintain success and that's the other thing too if you have success trying to have a career out of it's really challenging but I love that you know that for me that's I guess that's where I get my sport background to the okay what have I got to do now to to stay here how can I make it happen yeah you mentioned that the natural medicine that you were studying during that time you met a friend Charlie who you've named your eldest son after and he was the one who encouraged you to pick up a guitar wasn't he He was yeah I had never thought of music it was never ever on the radar for me and Charlie we became really good mates and he came into my room one day and, and just said, you know what? He was a really excitable kind of a guy. He was like, and he was doing teaching at the time. So he, he said, you know what? I'm going to go and get a guitar lesson. 
I've always wanted to do it and I'm going to go and do it. And I thought, oh, that sounds really good. That sounds great. I've never thought about doing that. Maybe I'll do the same. You know, so straight away, I was on the phone to a friend's brother who I knew he had a guitar. And I said, can I borrow your guitar for a couple of weeks? And I ended up borrowing it for like 12 months. You know, <laughs> he had to ask for it back. But I, I took that and started to learn how to play. But Charlie had no idea that I was doing this. So I went and had a few lessons and then just taught myself what to do. So I sat at home for a couple of years and just didn't even let anyone listen to what I was doing. No one knew that I could play and sing. So I, um, Charlie came back to Brisbane and I said, mate, let's catch up. I've got to, I want to show you something. So he came around and um, started playing some Neil Young songs and he was just like, whoa, like, how did you do that? And I said, well, this is because of you. That's why I started, you know, so thanks, you know. Um, he was just blown away. And then sadly... I think it was only one or two years later, Charlie had an aneurysm and passed away. He's only 32. So, um, but, I, you know, I'm a big believer in, in fate and I really do believe I was meant to meet him uh, and he was meant to get me into music and that's how it started. And what an impact, as you say, Charlie has had on your life and that you named your firstborn son after him. There was never any doubt that if I had a boy, he was going to be called Charlie after, after Charlie. I think that's a nice thing to do for someone that you, you know, you really cared about um, and who was special in your life and, you know, wasn't there long enough, unfortunately. But that's, that's life, isn't it? You know, we, we have to deal with that. And you have dealt with a lot of sadness in your life too, with your dad passing away when you were only 18. Yeah, that was a real shock for us. I had just finished grade 12 and... Um, Dad had had a, a pain in the chest about a week before he passed away and went to the docks in Chinchilla is where we lived. They did an ECG, but that doesn't pick up. Uh, this is back a, back a while ago, you know, that didn't sort of have the probably, I guess what they should have known, what they should have done is probably sent him to Brisbane. But they checked there and said nothing came up. And then he had another another pain in the chest, I think um, two days later, on the, it was on the Sunday and then on the Tuesday. And then another one on the Wednesday. So he had like these pretty massive pains in the chest that sort of pretty much put him down and he couldn't walk and do anything at the stage. So, and they said, look, what have you been doing? Have you been doing anything different? He said, I've been doing some weights and some some walking. And and they said, well, just rest up. But mum and dad were a little bit concerned about it still. So I had been, I was competing at the national titles for the schoolboys on that weekend in Brisbane. So they came down to Brisbane they watched me run the, the 800 heats and final on the Saturday. I had the 400s on the Sunday. And after my race, um, they went to see the, a doc in Brisbane. So the guy in Brisbane was like, I'm really concerned, so we need to get you in Monday morning and do some tests because this shouldn't be happening. And he said, look, I'm that concerned about you. Here's my home number. If you have any problems at all, call me straight away and meet me back at the hospital. And this is Saturday that he spoke to Dad. That night, Dad had a pain in the chest. And we called the doc, he got an ambulance organised, um, they took Dad to the hospital and he never came home. Had a heart attack that night and, and died. So I think the timing was really unfortunate that we didn't get something sorted a bit earlier and that was a massive loss for me. You know, at 18, that stage, I just had uh, turned 18 two months earlier and I uh, we went out for dinner with mum and dad and I had my first drink with him and sort of felt like you were really connecting as an adult and not just a father and a son, it was like, you know, friends. 
and uh, then he was taken from me two months later. So yeah, that was a really hard thing and I went into probably a little bit of depression without realising what it was for a couple of years after that. Really struggled to get myself going and motivated and um, yeah, it was, it was a hard time, really hard time. I'm so sorry, as you say, as an 18-year-old, to lose your dad at such an important... I mean, any time in your life is important, but that's... Oh, that's so difficult. That's right. Any time is really a difficult time. I think, you know, when it's a when it's a shock like that, you're not expecting it. I think that's the really hard thing you have to deal with, uh, the shock that, you know, I think at dinner that night we were laughing and having a great time, and then um, a few hours later he was he passed away. Yeah, it was a really difficult thing to, to get over and uh, to move on. Do you ever get over something like that? You do. You're able to deal with it, I think, as time goes on. Um, the, the, yeah, the pain definitely lessens and you... Um, it's always going to be a loss that you never have in your life. That's the thing that, you, that you, you're never going to get back. So there's always a little bit of pain there when you start to talk about it and go back and think about it. You know, it does bring up a lot of emotions for you. Uh, but you do tend to deal with it, you know, and I think having another family, for me, kids, you know, that sort of brings that joy in. And for my goal now is to be there for my kids. I don't want that to happen to them. So that's, um, you know, I want to, want to be a, an old dad if I can. So it's a really terrible thing to go through. Because you made that quite deliberate decision, didn't you, to step away from music for a while. What was it, six years? Because you wanted to be with your sons. Yeah, I'd gone through a marriage split up. So for me, you know, my boys were everything. So I wasn't writing anything new. I just, um, I did a little bit of touring here and there, but it was really just, you know, spending as much time with them as possible, which was fantastic for me. You know, like I was always at their sporting events and their school events and, you know, where a lot of other parents couldn't make it. I was I was there. I was lucky because of my job was allowing me to, get, to have time with them. So I don't regret a thing for that. I remember coming back into the music business after that time and things had changed quite a bit, you know, with Spotify and, you know, streaming. I'm going, okay, what's this streaming thing? So things had changed, but, like, I don't don't regret that at all. It was the time that that I needed and um, great to have that time with them and and great memories, you know. That's the thing you you have in life is those memories you have with the kids and the bond that you you make with them is so important. And, you know, I don't understand... Parents that don't really want to do that. That's something that I never understood. So for me, it's always been, you know, I want to be part of their life and be involved in that. And didn't you play handball? Didn't you go handball every morning at the school? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every morning I'd go there and and play with the boys. Even when I didn't have custody of them, I'd still rock up there and meet them and play handball and with all their mates. And so you kind of had that little friendship group as well that I'd be involved with. Yeah, look... All those things are really great moments and, yeah, just because I don't have the custody of them doesn't mean you can't see your kids. You work out the ways you can do that and to make it special. So I think that they, I think they probably just took it for granted for a little while that Dad was going to rock up, he's here and, you know, he's there. And if I would go away on tour, it'd be like, oh, okay, you weren't there today. <laughs> so, yeah, I've just had to go away for a weekend and try and earn some money to, <laughs> to keep playing handball with you guys, you know. So, yeah. And did they think you were pretty cool or... Is it just sort of, our oh, parents are so embarrassing, my dad's embarrassing? No, at that stage they did think I was pretty cool, I think, when they were young, you know. Um, and all their mates, you know, primary school, they 
probably didn't know my music too much, but they'd probably heard through the parents, oh, that's your dad's famous, you know, and they started to listen to a little bit of my music and I remember the, there's a song called Always a Winner and the boys were in the back singing it one day. I, was, I took them on the road with me. Wherever I could, I'd take them on, on the road and they'd come up and do shows with me and they were in the back of the car and they were arguing over who was, you know, like, let me sing, no, let me sing, let me sing. I'm going, you can share it, boys. No, 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 and they just blew about trying to sing this song. So, you know, there's great memories like that when you, I think, taking the kids on the road because it's not your standard job that they uh, other parents have, you know, and these guys come away and they get to go to festivals, they get to go to theatres and see crowds. And there was one time I played a show in one of the wineries down in Victoria and Pedro, who's turned 16 soon, he, he must have only been eight or seven or something like that around that age because they would sort of hang with my guitar techs while they're doing stuff. So anyway, I sort of finished my guitar. For that song, I had to change guitars and, and out comes this guitar with his little hand holding it. And it, the guitar was the same size as Pedro, you know, he's walking out and because the, the crowd just love it, you know, when that sort of comes out, oh, that's my boy, Pedro. And there's so many great memories. So I remember playing a show in London and Charlie was only probably 18 months or something like that. And finished the show. It was a great vibe. It was the Shepherd's Bush Empire. For those who have been the Shepherd's Bush Empire in London, it's a great theatre. 3,000 people just in the prime of everything, just going crazy. And I thought, this is amazing. I said, yeah, thank you. I'm holding the guitar up and saying thanks. The next minute, the just crowd just lifted again. And I remember thinking, wow, they really love me, these guys. It's really, <laughs> this is a really amazing thing that to, to, they've just gone another level. So thank you. You know, next minute I felt these two arms around my, my legs. And, oh, that's why, they, that's why they've gone up another level. So I sort of picked Charlie up and waved to the crowd. And, and even my daughter, Sachi, who turns five now, it was another winery show right here. She came out and I just held her and, and we sang a bit together. So look, those things are really incredible memories for me and I think for the kids too. Like, uh, who gets to do that? Oh, who gets to go out and that's wave right. to thousands of people and have people going, oh, you know? So these guys, they, they're on a high when they come off stage too. So it is, it's a, it's a pretty, it's amazing life. And you're sharing it with them. So you've got your two boys, and now you've got two girls as well. Are you a different kind of dad now? I've got to say, boys are easier than girls. So, oh. Yeah, I'm a, diff- I'm a different dad because it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, what has just happened to my life? <laughs> the emotions with the girls. The boys would just, they'd be wild, you know, and then you'd be sort of pulling your hair out going, slow down, you know, especially when you're going shopping and... Or, you know, we were over, overseas one time and in Germany and the boys were running around trying to get them to slow down and next minute it was like slow motion. One of them hit, the, you know, outside on the, on the streets, they've got all the postcards the, and there was a row of four of them and the boys, of course, hit one. It was just like, do dunk, 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 and these cards went over and I'm just like going, oh. Like, Sorry about I that. Not, I could not apologise enough. Then the owner's just like, just get away, go, 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 you know, I was like, I'm so sorry. And I just like, the boys like, listen to me. But they could be told, okay, that's all right, we've just, we've just upset dad, dad doesn't get upset very often, but he's upset, so let's stop this now. If I do this to the girls, they go, what are you going to do? And they just like, keep going, I'm like, uh, okay, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's challenging. It uh, is. And maybe you're a bit more delicate with girls too, maybe that's my problem, so... No, it's you know. not. It's lovely to be like that. I think because I've got two daughters. They're yep, yep. fourteen and sixteen, 
and I see the relationship their dad has with them and he's really gentle and a softy. It makes my heart melt. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is, and it's it's a relationship that I'm really enjoying at the moment. I can't wait for them to get a bit older as well, and as as that builds too. So you know, with the boys, we talk boy stuff. You know, with the girls, it's like they're into the girls' things, and they're dressing up, and there's the dolls, and do this, dad, and can you know, can you wear this? And you're just like, okay, and can I do your hair? And it's like, okay. So, <laughs> so it's different. It's different. It's really, um, it is, it's beautiful. And I'm so glad that I've done the two boys and the two girls because they both play with each other. And the girls love the boys, you know, and the boys really love the girls too. So it's, um, there's, a, there's a good age difference there now that the boys are older. And uh, Tell me, Pete, when you took that time out to be with your boys and you took that break from music, did you ever think you'd go back or oh, not gonna, do it? No, I was always going to continue with music. I mean, I... I love it. It's great. And I hear people when they kind of give the, the Rolling Stones a hard time, when are they going to stop doing it? It's like, these guys, why would you stop? It's such an amazing feeling to play live. And that's why these guys keep going. That's why they keep doing it because they've got, not only they've got great songs anyway, but it's so much fun to play live. For me, playing live music with your mates, as in the band, you like brothers, they're like family. And you just have this vibe that's just happening and it's just, that is an amazing feeling. And especially if you're lucky enough to have a good following and then you've got a crowd there in front of you too. Even if you don't have a big crowd, it's still such a good fun thing to do. Um, but if you've got both, it's, it's an amazing thing to, to get around and travel the world and go to different venues and different countries and different cities and it's the best thing. So there was never a point where I was going to stop. Um, I really, you know, just trying to better myself every time was really what I want to do musically. I think it's, you're never going to have the same success as what you have when you first come out. That's something you never experience again. But for me, it's just all about keeping that career going and and so that I can basically, I think I said somewhere in an interview, not that I want this to happen anytime soon, but I said, look, I'd be happy if I die on stage. And if that happens, that'd be a great way to go out, but make sure that I'm like, if if I can be 90 something, that would be even better. So, you know, look, that's, how much I love playing and it's something that I'll always do and I always want to do and I'm very, I feel very privileged that I can do it. Pete, we are so lucky to have you, to have you performing, to writing the most beautiful songs that form such a big part, I think, of our lives and moments in our life. So thank you for doing that. You're a very special man. Thank you. Well, it's been my pleasure all the way along. Oh, thanks, Pete. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, nice to talk to you. Oh, um, so lovely to talk. Oh, you know what? I think there's something about guys with the name Pete. Isn't he fantastic? I really want to go along and see his concerts. I've been listening to his music on repeat. He has this amazing new album, Best Of. Really crank it up in the car. That's what I'm doing as I'm doing my moobering. Now, Peter's going to be hitting the road from July on his greatest hits tour, which will see him head back to Wollongong, Canberra and Darwin, as well as shows in Melbourne, Sydney, Brizzy, Perth and Adelaide. And we'll have a link in our show notes so you can grab your tickets. I'll be there in the mosh pit. I'm sure he has a mosh pit. For more big conversations like this one with Pete, follow the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show podcast. It means you will never miss an episode. And if there's someone in your life that you think might enjoy this conversation, go on, share it with them. 
And if you love this episode with Pete, I reckon you will enjoy my chat with Ben Lee. The only secret I can ever impart to anybody about what makes a marriage long-lasting, I think the willingness of the two people to make it work is all that's needed. Because marriages fall apart or relationships fall apart when at least one person stops wanting it to work. And if you want it to work, you will find a way to make it work. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter.